All right. Welcome back, everybody. On today's episode of the Zest for Life podcast, we're going to delve into the fascinating realms of emotion regulation and emotional intelligence. These concepts have a profound impact on our daily lives, relationships, and overall well-being. And I'm going to start by asking a question. What is the strongest emotions you've experienced in your life? So start thinking of specific experiences and the emotions they elicited. Because emotions are powerful feedback into our inner world. Something for us to learn more about who we are. Something to inform us of the things that we value. And overall, just to get a sense of what our overall well-being is. And when I answer that question for myself, I think back to my first breakup. Right, so that might like make some of you shudder to ooh think about like your first breakup. But I remember my first breakup and I was seventeen years old. And I remember, you know, a few days after the breakup just lying in my bed and just crying. And I remember my mom coming in and sitting on the bed and, you know, rubbing my back and like, Honey, are you okay? And I remember uttering a sentence to my mom. I remember saying, Mom, my heart hurts. And prior to this experience, like I'd had a lot of good experiences. I had some rough experiences. But overall, like this was the first time that I remember tying an emotion to physical pain. And I think this is one of the reasons I'm a therapist, because this stuff fascinates the heck out of me. That our experiences can shape and influence our emotions. And our emotions can influence our thoughts, our beliefs about ourselves, And then in turn, the way we behave and that there's this beautiful interaction between all these different elements in our life. But that overall, that our experiences matter and emotions are just trying to live a little trail of breadcrumbs to help us understand what it means to be human. And more specifically, what is it like to be you? And since that time as I've had, you know, peaks and valleys of emotions, always trying to keep my finger on the pulse of what is Todd learning about Todd as I may be experiencing different emotions. Another early important experience for me in understanding the importance of emotions actually comes from my seventh grade history teacher. And she would begin class every day with a quote. And it really struck me because she was using history as a platform to inspire and to build character. And so she would have a character building quote to start each day that we would discuss. And while there was many different quotes that were influential in my development, there was one that I remember specifically. And it comes from Dr. Maya Angelou. Uh, Dr. Angelou is most uh, known for uh, her writings as an author, uh, specifically Why the Cage Bird Sings. And one of the quotes she's been attributed to saying is, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I remember as an awkward seventh grader reading the quote on the board and feeling just that electricity like, wow, to me, this is speaking truth. To me, there's something powerful here that helps me expand who I am and helps provide a vision of what I can become. Because the implications for Dr. Angelo's quote are pretty significant. What it really means to me is that there's something powerful about the interpersonal connection with people and specifically the emotional experience present within that relationship or interaction that's going to shape and influence their perspectives, not only of the relationship and themselves, but also potentially their entire worldview. 
So as we begin to transition to some research and other ideas relating to emotion regulation intelligence, I got to be transparent, guys. I feel a little overwhelmed by this task to try to condense everything that I know into 15 minutes about emotion regulation intelligence because in my clinical work and my research work, I've like like our emotional experiences are integrated with every facet of life. So I will do my best to sort of select some of the highlights, knowing this is by no means a comprehensive deep dive into everything there is to know and understand about emotion regulation. But to begin, we're going to look at Paul Ekman's theories of emotion. So in the 1970s, there was sort of a push to try to understand what are the different types of emotions. And Paul established sort of a six-emotion model that has stood the test of time. There's other models and approaches to say, is there three core emotions? Is there four? Is there six? Is there seven? But Paul Ekman's is the one that is sort of referenced most often. All right, so Dr. Ekman identifies sadness, happiness, fear, anger, surprise, and disgust as the six primary emotions that we experience during life. Dr. Ekman describes sadness as an emotional state characterized by feelings of disappointment, grief, or hopelessness, whereas happiness is a pleasant emotional state that elicits feelings of joy, contentment, and satisfaction. Fear uh, was defined as a primal emotion that is important to survival and helps trigger the fight-or-flight response. In a little bit, we're going to explore the HPA access and its roles and emotions. So don't forget about fear. Okay, next, anger, uh, emotional state leading to feelings of hostility and frustration. Surprise being defined as a brief emotional state, either positive or negative following something unexpected. And then the final basic emotion in his model is disgust. And disgust being defined as a strong emotion that results in the feeling of being repulsed. That's a fun word, repulsed. Anyways, my favorite quote from Paul Ekman is thus. He says, emotions change how we see the world and how we interpret the actions of others. And again, this starts being delicious to me where we start recognizing there's something about our emotional experience that influences our perspectives and overall worldview. And many researchers were inspired by, by Paul's work. And one was uh, Robert Pluchik, and he was the first person to develop the emotion wheel. Many of you may be familiar with the emotion wheel. The way it works is you have sort of a circular representation of emotions, and there's different branching emotions that stem from each sort of basic emotion. And the first sort of iteration of it was just where there was eight emotions with different opposites. So opposite emotions say, oh, that could be this or this. But slowly, we start morphing into well, there's like basic emotions and there's complex emotions. And so if you think about like a basic emotion, sadness can be it, right? That it's, I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling happy. But most of the time, we're experiencing more complex emotions. And what that means is we can feel more than one emotion at the same time. And when this was first introduced, it's pretty revolutionary to say, wait, there's something beyond like a basic emotion and that we can experience an intersection of multiple emotions at the same time. So think of the visual for a minute of the Three Stooges trying to all exit the same room at the same time. So you have these three dudes all trying to exit the same doorway, and it creates this gridlock in which, which they're stuck. And complex emotions are kind of like that, where sometimes there's this gridlock that occurs because we have to slowly tease apart all the nuances of how we're actually feeling about a particular subject or thing. And I want you to think back to the beginning of this podcast when I talked about 
well, I went through my first breakup and I'm like, mom, my heart hurts. And exploring that idea that there's an emotional experience that's causing physical pain. I was curious to see, is this supported in the literature? Like research-wise, do we find an association between emotional pain and physical pain? And what I found was absolutely astounding. Overall, there's a growing body of empirical support that our brains process social-emotional pain using the same regions that our brain processes physical pain. And one study that I absolutely adore uh, from Ethan Cross from the University of Michigan, part of his comprehensive study was exploring a database of over 500 published articles exploring the similarities of the pathways between you know, social rejection, emotional pain, as well as what parts of the brain are activated during physical pain. And the core part of, of his experiment was he would take participants who'd recently gone through an unwanted breakup and put them into an fMRI machine, which would allow them to see real-time brain activation. And to have participants look at a picture of their ex and reminisce on the hurt they experienced during the breakup. And this is absolutely banana town to me, that we have the technology and the ability to examine real-time brain activation as people are exploring and processing their emotional pain after a breakup. An additional protocol of the experiment is that participants would also receive some uh, heat or cold-induced pain on one of their arms to be able to see, okay, where in the brain is the physical pain being registered? And what they found in the study is that the brain literally uses the same regions and pathways to process the emotional pain of the breakup as it does with the physical pain, with the heat or the cold. Okay, to this point, we've established that we have basic emotions and complex emotions. We've also explored how our emotions can be processed in the same region of the brain as physical pain. And next, we're going to explore the HPA axis, which is essentially our body's stress response system. Okay. So HPA axis stands for hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And it really is a crucial part of the neoendocrine system that's responsible for our body stress response. It involves a complex interplay between three major components, the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the adrenal glands. So the hypothalamus, this is the region of the brain that detects stress or changes in the environment. When it senses stress, it releases corticotropin release and hormone, or just something called CRH. The pituitary gland is located at the base of the brain, and upon receiving the CRH, releases adrenocorticotropic hormone, or ACTH, into the bloodstream. This ACTH then travels to the adrenal glands that sit atop the kidneys. The adrenal glands respond to the ACTH by producing cortisol, com commonly known as the stress hormone. So friends, why does this matter? Because the HPA access is part of the body's fight or flight response. What that basically means is that it prepares the body to respond to stress by increasing the heart rate, elevating blood pressure, and releasing glucose for energy. And specifically as it relates to our emotional and physical health, chronic stress is prolonged activation of the HPA access, period. Right? So chronic stress can lead to health issue issues such as anxiety, depression, digestive problems, sleep disturbances, and weakened immune functioning. So our approach to regulating this is through techniques such as mindfulness, relaxation, physical activity, adequate sleep, all help regulate the HPA axis, reducing the impact of chronic stress on the body. Okay, so now tying the HPA axis to our emotion regulation is pretty simple. 
the way we respond to our emotions is either going to increase and prolong the activation of the HPA axis, or it's going to provide support in being able to downregulate the HPA axis. So when the cortisol is released, we're able to get back to a state of homeostasis. And this is where emotional intelligence comes in, or EQ, which is short for emotional quotient. Emotional intelligence is basically a set of skills and a way of being to help individuals manage their own emotions in positive ways to help relieve stress, to help them communicate effectively and connect with others. Overall, emotional intelligence is crucial in helping diffuse conflict. And the four components of emotional intelligence are self-management, self-awareness, social awareness, and relationship management. Overall, emotional intelligence is all about being aware of your emotions, how they influence your thinking patterns and behaviors, and likewise, how do your choices influence your emotions. Emotional intelligence also explores how do we avoid extremes in the way we regulate our emotions, that we don't regulate so close, that we hide and suppress how we feel, nor do we under-regulate and become dysregulated where emotions are large and unmanageable. In either case, over-regulating or under-regulating leads to prolonged activation of the HPA access. One more thing to note before we get to the application portion of today's episode is to introduce something called mood congruent memory. And this is a term that identifies that our current emotional state influences the way we're viewing past experiences. So what that means is when we are distressed and we start reviewing the past, we are more likely to view things with a critical eye, provide less of a benefit of doubt to others and ourselves. For this episode's application task, I'm going to teach you an exercise that one of my clinical mentors introduced to me that I've utilized with many different clients and patients and some that I think has had a profound influence in the way I approach my own emotional regulation. To this exercise, I want you to get out a piece of paper and you're going to divide it into five columns. And I'm going to invite you to do some deep breathing. Right? So close your eyes if you feel comfortable and just find your breath and be present with it. As you inhale and exhale, just feel present in your body. When you're ready, I want you to open your eyes. In the first column, I want you to make a list of the things that you're currently worried about. The things that are distressing to you. The things that weigh heavy on you. Once you've completed your list, close your eyes and find your breath once again. Next, when you're ready, you're going to open your eyes. And in column two, you're going to identify what emotions do you feel as you look at your list of worries. And you just list the things, the way you feel based on what you're worried about. And just like before, when you're ready, you close your eyes, find your breath, and be present. When you're ready, open your eyes. And in the third column, identify where in your body do you feel those emotions. One way to do this is to do a body scan where you visualize each part of your body, starting from your head to your toes. Just identify where you feel any tension, discomfort, stress, and identify which emotions you feel in which parts of your body. After you've made a list of where in your body you feel what emotions, I want you to review the items in column one and put a star next to the three things 
that you're currently experiencing the most distress over. And when you're ready, you can close your eyes and find your breath and be present once again. And when you're ready, you may open your eyes. And in column four, I want you to write what you believe about yourself as a result of your worries, the emotions you feel, and the way you feel in your body. After you've written, you may close your eyes and be present with your breath once again. And the final step of this exercise, while your eyes are closed and while you're present with your breathing, I'm going to ask you an important question, one in which I'm going to have you write your response in column five. But I want you to pay attention to the first thing that comes to mind. Sometimes we're quick to reframe our thoughts in a way that negate our own personhood and dishonors our own needs. So with your eyes closed and present with your breath, I want you to answer the question, what do you need? And I want you to open your eyes and write it down in column five. And as you do so, identify what would you need to do to honor your own personhood and to recognize that your needs are worthy of being met. Okay, so that's a little bit different exercise than maybe what we've done previously on the podcast. But as you do so, you will have greater emotional intelligence and you'll be able to regulate your emotions in a way that allows you to reduce the activation of the HPA access. Also, when I do this with clients or with students, it definitely is a much longer prolonged thing. And so those are the steps, but I would encourage you to work through that process in a time frame in which you're able to really engage with each of those prompts. Okay, and that concludes this episode of the Zest for Life podcast. Uh, join us next episode as we wrap up the first season of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and you know the drill, guys. Stay zesty. 